0: one of the things I enjoy about visiting a predominantly African American church is they have a little more freedom uh, than we have. I mean, we have it, but somehow it just doesn't get exercised in the same way. And a lot of times when they sing a song, if you feel like standing, you just stand. Not everybody has to stand. Uh, But somebody will just hear a, a line, hear a note something is I just want to stand up and when I was listening to the song um, to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea oh the chains are released I can sing I am free I mean I just was like yes I mean I can go home I mean I, I want to tell my sermon but like that's that's the gospel that That Christ has done something in me. And what that feels like is freedom. Freedom. And so that's my hope, is that you feel that same same freedom today. Even if you can't stand up, you feel the freedom in your heart. That you're standing up even though while you're sitting down. Our passage today comes from Philippians chapter 1. We are in a series here, I think this is week 3 for us, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Uh, So if you have that uh, in your Bible or device, or if you don't have one, there's a blue Bible in front of you, you can look at that as we follow along. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi. usually take a minute here just to be quiet and reflect on God's Word, and part of that today is I want to uh, listen to a little song that I'm going to mention in the sermon. It's an instrumental, so it'll be easy to reflect as you listen to the song as well. I love that little song. It's called Stairs and Steps by Charlie Keys. And I love this. That constant beat, that constant refrain, that no matter how uh, complex the song gets over time, they add more um, keys, or you might say they add more noise. No matter what gets added to that, there's something underneath everything. And it starts this way. The song actually ends with just these two two keys playing. And it's a perfect illustration for the book of Philippians. The two keys that play throughout the whole letter is what we've talked about the last two weeks. Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 11. And most of your bibles probably have that little passage set off in a little different way because it's actually a song. It's an imported hymn into the text. And so most good translations will let you know that by setting it off in some sort of fashion. And it's it's if you would imagine the apostle Paul writing this letter and he has this he's in a prison cell and he has this hymn going through his mind. And he's just silently mouthing the words to this hymn. did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He's just silently listening to the, this hymn as he writes the whole letter. And so no matter where you go in the letter, you feel the influence of this hymn all the way through. And we're going to hear it and feel it today in this particular opening passage. Now, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 5, and just notice what he's talking about. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ. So he's trying to tell this church that he planted in Philippi, I want you to have this mindset. It's available to you because you are a Christian. And then he tells you the mindset of Christ. He gives it to you in this hymn. And there's lots of ways that we talked about that over the last couple of weeks. But one way that you know you're operating with Christ's mindset is you're leveraging yourself. That's one evidence that you're operating with the mindset of Christ. You're leveraging yourself. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. But Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He, he did have the form of God, but he leveraged that. He, he let go of that in order to get underneath other people. And notice that he came in human likeness, but he didn't come in the likeness of a king, he came in the likeness of a servant. Somebody who gets underneath people to, to lift them up. And certainly he did that for me, and he did that for you as well. So one of the evidences that a person is operating with the mindset of Christ is that they are serving. They're leveraging their position. They're leveraging their power. They're leveraging their money. They're leveraging their wisdom, their words. I mean, there's lots of different things you can leverage. But you take these because they're all gifts given to you by God. And you say, hey, I'm going to use them. I'm not going to hold on to them like I'm an owner. No, I'm going to leverage myself for other people in order to get underneath them. And so one question I have is, is what motivates Paul to serve? What, what motivates Paul to leverage himself? Here, he's a, he's a Jewish guy. He's coming to a Greek city, Philippi. What causes Paul to leverage himself? It's this beat. It's this hymn it doesn't just run through his mind right here while he's writing the letter it runs through like the the circulatory system of his life he's motivated because of what jesus has done for him this is this is like pumping fuel into paul's life and what pours out is leverage i'm taking my all of paul's knowledge all of paul's wisdom even even risking his own life he spills this out in the service of other people. And we see three ways that Paul serves the Philippians just in these opening verses, and I want to make that the topic of my sermon today. Here's how he leverages himself. And you just see it right here. It's, it'll come out in different places uh, in the in this letter, but in the beginning we see first of all, he serves the people by encouraging them, encouraging them. That's the first thing he does. Secondly, he serves the people by assuring them. And third, he, uh, he leverages himself, he serves the people by praying for them. These are all things you and I can do. So Paul is a model for us. He, he serves the people by encouraging them, he serves the people by assuring them, he serves the people by praying for them. And so we're going to take a look at the first two this week and we'll save the time for prayer for next week. So first of all, encouragement. Just notice it in verses 3 through 5 and then again in 6 and 7. One of Paul's greatest gifts, I'm convinced, is the gift of encouragement. There's something unique about Paul's ability to to encourage, and this is just my guess, but he went on the first missionary journey with a guy named Barnabas. you remember what Barnabas' nickname was, his surname, anybody know? The Son of Encouragement how would you like to be called the son of encouragement or the daughter of encouragement? I mean, like you're a close relative to encouragement because every time I see you, you look and act and speak like encouragement. So we're just going to call you Paul, the son of encouragement because encouragement sort of just spills out. It's your natural habit of your life. It's a great gift that Paul learned from Barnabas. And you see it over and over. Romans chapter 1, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith. Your faith is being reported all across the world. What, a, what an opening line to a church. I'm so thankful for Christ Community Church because I want you to know your faith is being, being told all across the world. First, first Thessalonians, just the opening few verses. We continually to remember you before our God and Father. Why? Because your work has produced faith. Your labor is prompted by love. Your endurance is inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, such encouragement. And we see uh, Paul pumping that encouragement here in Philippians chapter 1. You, you get the sense that Paul's first priority when he engages in these new church members is, first, let me find a way to encourage. Let me look for a way to say something honestly, truthfully, in an encouraging way and before I point out the specific ways that Paul encourages I just want to point out what's obvious as well is how it emotionally spills out of Paul he doesn't just say it he, he it spills out emotionally verse 4 with joy verse 7 I hold you in my heart verse 8 I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Paul is writing under these very stressful conditions he's in a Roman prison And the church at Philippi is underneath a great deal of stress. Yet Paul, somehow he marshals the emotional capacity, even in his own pain, to try to be an encourager. To try to communicate his genuine affection. I think that's a good point for us, just to think we're all in a, a tense moment. We're all sharing a certain tense moment just in our culture with COVID. And every every little conversation I've had this morning prior to the services, something about COVID. How has it rearranged your life and what's the certain challenge of it? We're all living here two weeks before a big election and there's all kinds of turmoil in the culture about it. And then it, it, most of us here have our own personal turmoil that we're trying to deal with. And yet even in the midst of this turmoil for Paul... He's able to summon the emotional capacity to encourage. He's not, he's not just like a black hole sucked in and on himself. He's still able to, to be an encourager. And here's a specific reason he does. Because, you see that's verse, verse 5, circle that word. Because, this is the reason I'm so encouraged, is your partnership in the gospel. And that's sort of like an umbrella term that he's going to unpack. He's going to say, well, I see your partnership in the gospel and then I want you to know I've seen it in very specific ways. This is a a great lesson on encouragement. To not just say, hey, you're wonderful. I mean, that's good. I mean, if you want to tell me I'm wonderful today, that's fine. I'm going to receive that. But it's better to say you're wonderful because something. I've, I've noticed some specific trait. This is so helpful for the Philippians. First of all, that uh, I've seen their partnership in the gospel because of their perseverance. You see that in verse 5, from the first day until now. The first day for Paul and the Philippians was 10 years ago when Paul wrote this letter. And it's been 10 years and he's seen a faithful perseverance, a faithful partnership over the whole 10 years. They were, they were with him in the very beginning in the first day and they're with him uh, right now. Look, at, look with me in chapter 4 verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, the Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, this is where Philippi is located, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. So I'd been to several churches and I was leaving this region and I needed support And there was only one church that partnered with me. There's only one church that persevered. And now here he is 10 years later, verse 18. And he says this, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Why? Because I've received from Epaphroditus. He's a person in the church of Philippi who's come to a Roman prison to find Paul to give him gifts 10 years later. So you feel that span? When I left your region, you wanted to partner with me. You wanted to be with me. You wanted to supply gifts. Now, here I am ten years later in a Roman prison, and you're still doing the same. He sees this perseverance. They have a long track record, and Paul wants to point that out. And what an encouragement. I mean, it's great when somebody comes to Christ, is it not? But don't you want to wait ten years and see if it's still happening? And when you see an old friend, they're still faithful. I mean, you're so encouraged because you know over a span of ten years, some difficult things have happened. They've had some highs and lows, and somehow they've managed to stay together with Christ through all those things. And Paul is such a tremendous motivator. Here he is in a, a Roman prison cell. He'd had every, he would have every reason to to be depressed, but I love this little. Um, it feels like a coach from the sidelines. He's, he's, he's sort of screaming at the people in Philippi this truth in chapter 3, verse 13. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press on. I'm pressing on. Here I am. I'm in this prison cell. I, I could just be c- caved in on myself, but I want you to know, people in Philippi, I'm pressing on. I'm persevering and his perseverance energizes them to say, "Well, we want to persevere as well. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Christ." I wonder if you're how good you are at encouragement. It's such a tremendous gift. It's such a simple way to serve someone. To just come alongside and and get underneath them with a heart felt encouragement. And of course, the most difficult time to encourage is when you're you're going through a difficult time. You're in prison. Cuz you get stuck on yourself, but Paul is saying, I'm not going to get stuck on the past. I'm not going to get stuck in my current circumstances. I'm not going to allow them to have an, have just have me an inward focus. I'm going to I'm still going to be able to encourage When I was thinking about this point, it reminded me of a story from Fox's Book of Martyrs, this uh, old book about the Christians who gave their life for the gospel um, around the Reformation. And there were two guys, a guy named Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. They were from England. And they were two Protestant pastors. And when Queen Mary came to the throne, she was Catholic and she was putting to death, Bloody Mary, putting to death a lot of the Protestants, two of whom were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. It happened in October of 1555, or so 465 years ago today. Latimer was about 20 years older than his friend Ridley. And they were tied to stakes in a town square to be burned to death. And one of them said, Uh, nail it in hard. Nail nail my hands tight because the flesh is weak. In other words, he knew he would struggle to get away once the flames came. And so they stack the wood all the way up to your face at least. And then they light the fire. And this big crowd just stands around and watches these two men burn for their faith. And the older, Latimer, Latimer looks at Ridley It says, be of good comfort, Master Ridley. and Play the man. Press on. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. While he's burning. You see, when I'm burning, (laughs) I don't have a lot of space for encouragement. I don't know about you. But I like to say, can you see the fire that's consuming me? Can somebody go get a hose? I mean, I tend to just be drawn in on myself. But here this guy is. He's got such trust in Christ. He's he's completely sold out that even in this moment, he's encouraging his friend. And of course, Latimer didn't know how much encouragement that would actually be necessary for his friend because quickly the smoke filled up Latimer's lungs, and he died before much fire got to his body. But Ridley, the wood stacked around Ridley, was green. And it didn't burn very quickly. So the bottom half of his body got burned, but he was still alive in the top half. And he screamed out, Oh, Lord, have mercy, I cannot burn. And you wonder at that moment, he wasn't hearing. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley. We are going to light a candle. That one day, Christ Community Church is going to be the beneficiary of one of the best ways you can serve somebody. Even if you're in pain, even if you're in your your own flames are consuming you, is to encourage. What a gift. Second, second evidence of their partnership. Paul's just want to say, hey, I, I, I'm so delighted with you all, but I want, to, I want to share with you the ways I've seen it. One, you're, you're, I've, just, I've just been encouraged by you because you've persevered. Secondly, you've offered financial support. They're, they're the ones that supplied Paul when he left the Macedonian region. And I, I just want to give you a taste of the sacrifice of that support. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the city of Corinth, which is in another region of Greece. So he's left the the northern region. Now he's come down to the southern region, region of Corinth, and he's encouraging the Corinthian church to give. And this is how he encourages them. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. This is Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme and out of their extreme poverty they have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means and as I can testify even beyond their means this is a poor region but they they wanted to be a part of it they wanted to sacrifice and they had a certain amount of margin but then they went into the from the margin into the the meat. We, we gave in extreme ways. They were sacrificial in their giving. And so Paul just wants to point this out and says, say this isn't the reason of your salvation but it is evidence of your salvation. Of course we know this from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.21 For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus just points and says, you know, your money is like a GPS tracker on your heart. You can follow the money and you can find out where somebody's heart is. And he can find, Paul knows the heart of the Philippians. They're they're for the gospel. Why? One evidence, one evidence is perseverance. Another one is sacrificial giving. And I want to thank many of you here have given sacrificially to Christ Community Church. Over time, but especially in this particular season of COVID, it'd be easy to just take your resources to say there's a lot of uncertainty. So I, you know, my pledge to the church in the capital campaign, or my weekly giving or monthly giving, I, I might, I do re, want to retract in some way because who knows? And yet, many of you continue to sacrifice and give. So I want to say thank you. I see that as an evidence of the gospel at work. Third evidence. Of of their gospel partnership, of their sacrifices, the Philippians didn't just send the money; they sent themselves. Epaphroditus, this man from uh, Ethiopia or from Philippi, he leaves the comfort of his own culture. He goes to the Roman prison. He finds Paul in this Roman prison cell, and in the process, he almost dies. Now, again, let me ask the question, what would motivate Epaphroditus to leave the comfort of his own culture to go to a Roman prison cell and sacrifice his life in order to give a good gift to the Apostle Paul? What would motivate Epaphroditus to do that? (laughs) I'm going to do this several times. This would motivate The Apostle Paul came and told Epaphroditus about God who had come to him and sacrificed himself to give a good gift. So Epaphroditus isn't motivated out of guilt or obedience. He's motivated out of the love of Christ. And he's just displaying the mindset of Christ here. And Paul sees it and he wants to tell the Philippians, Yes, I see this. I see this as evidence of your partnership. So the first way Paul wants to serve the Philippians is to encourage them. And he encourages them by pointing out specific ways he can see the gospel shaping their lives. Number two, point number two, he wants to encourage them uh, in a theological realm by giving them assurance, verse six. This is one of the key verses in this whole letter, probably a verse that you're somewhat familiar with. And I am sure of this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't just want to encourage the Philippians with um, how he's seen them operate, but he wants to encourage them with something much deeper, much more reliable, and that's God's grace. And so he wants to, he doesn't want to just point to physical evidence he wants to point to divine evidence that might be a way to say it of God at work. And so this is such an important piece of theology. So you're going to I'm going to have to read slowly and you're going to have to listen carefully. And I'm not going to be able to cover every point, but I just want to circle three key words here. The word began, the word complete or completion, and the the small little word in He who began a good work. In the Greek it means to communicate a decisive and deliberate act. So God didn't just randomly begin a good work. He decided and then decisively act on something. It's, it's a work planned and then executed. And this is a very important piece of theology. Question, when did this good work of the gospel begin for the Philippians? It's a little bit of a trick question. When did the good work of the gospel begin for the Philippians? Now they would be right in saying this. Well, ten years ago, when the Apostle Paul came to our town, I mean, nobody knew about Jesus, and he preaches... Lydia can say, "Well, I was I was by a riverside. I heard the Apostle Paul preach." The the jailer could say, "Well, I was I was the jailer, and I came to him, and he told me about Jesus, and my the the good work began in my life and my heart right at that point." And I think they would be right in saying that. I think they would be true by saying that. But I want to say this very very clearly: as you mature in your faith, you should come to know that there is a much deeper much much more solid foundation for your salvation than you As you mature see the, the the Lydia could say I heard the gospel and I responded that's when it's that's the when the work began but then she needs to grow in her faith she needs to mature and say now I I think my my salvation may have not been based on my decision. It might have actually have a, a bigger base, a more solid foundation. And Paul tells us in the work, in the his letter to the uh, Ephesians, verses one, one verse four, God chose us in Christ when before the foundation of the world. So let's just marvel at this for a moment. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so the so the foundation of your salvation this is so critical rest on God it doesn't rest on you that's such good news i hope you hear it as good news That the foundation of your salvation, yes, you can say, I prayed a prayer, I walked down an aisle, I signed a card, I went to a summer camp, I knelt by my bed, and I received Christ. That's all true. I'm not trying to take that away. I'm trying to add. I'm trying to add something much deeper. Something much more beautiful. Something that you would marvel at. And that is your foundation really began before time. Because it began in God. It didn't begin... In you. Just to back this up with Jesus' own words, John chapter 6, No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. No one can come to me unless it's granted to them. You hear that? Your coming to Christ is first granted by God the Father. It, it begins in the divine realm. It doesn't begin in your realm. And then we see it in the book of Acts. This is such a beautiful little picture. Paul comes to Lydia and he does preach, but notice how Luke, the writer, describes this interaction. One who heard us was a a woman named Lydia, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. You hear that? The Lord opened her heart. See, Luke is giving you this divine viewpoint. Lydia standing there, she did hear. But before she could make any move, the Lord had to move in her. So she could say, yes, I received Christ at that riverside, but then she's going to back up and understand, hold on. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. My name has been on God's mind from before the foundation of the earth. It's incredible. I love this statement by one biblical scholar. He says this, it was God who began the good work in Lydia. This is true. This is the inner story of every conversion. Salvation is a work of God originating before the foundation of the world. Oh, how salvation would be wretchedly unsure. I love that line. Oh, how salvation would be a wretchedly unsure thing if no other foundation than my own choosing of Christ. Thankfully, it is the will of God, not ours, that is the ground of our salvation. Amen? That is good news. Now, I realize, if you're like me, that brings up a bunch of questions. And I'm not saying they're not worthwhile, and trying to find the answer to, and try to figure out how that fits in your brain. But right now, it's something to be marveled at, not to be questioned. You're not going to get into the mind of God and be able to understand it you're supposed to just stand back and go. I can't believe it. He had me on his mind before the foundation of the world. So, began, big a big a small word with a big meaning. Secondly, completion. He who began a good work will bring it to completion, meaning God's not only the founder or the foundation of your salvation, he's the foundation of your sanctification. He's not just the foundation of this moment. He's also the foundation of all your living for Christ. God doesn't just save us and say, well, good luck, Paul. I hope you have a good journey. No, no, that's not what he does. Thankfully, he doesn't say that. He's going to take us on a journey that he's going on. Paul says it a different way in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. You hear that? It is God who's working in you to will something. I I want to do something and to actually do that thing. So my impulse to act like Christ, my will comes from God. My ability to actually act on that impulse comes from God. And this is what you need to know. So if my salvation, if the foundation of my salvation is based in God, then at some point at a summer camp or wherever I give my life to Christ, and his his life, his mindset begins pumping through my life. And now I want to do some things differently than I did. Where does that want come from? It comes from Christ. Well, there's you know, there's a difference between wanting and doing. You do know this, do you not? But then even my doing it, I want it, and then my ability to do it, that all actually comes from Christ. So everything comes from God, which means all glory goes to... It goes to God. That's why we're here. I hope you realize this. We're here at a worship service. We're not here at a theater where you're judging the music and judging the sermon today. You're here to worship an Almighty God because all glory belongs to Him. And in all eternity, you're never going to get tired of Jesus. And discovering the incredible glory that He is, that's the Gospel. And that's what's running through Paul's mind. That's what's running through his brain as he sit. He helps these people understand this really deep truth that comes out in this one verse. Final word, the word in... and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in notice he doesn't say for he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion so question what tangible assurance can we have that God will complete his work I mean, I read it, and I'm trying to trust it, but is there any tangible assurance I can have that God is going to complete His work in me? And the answer is, yes, you will see the work in you. It's not a good work that's just done for you. It's a good work that's done in you. Again, we've got to listen carefully. It's not enough to simply know that Jesus died for sins. That's not enough. The tangible evidence that God has truly done a work for you. Is the visible evidence that God is working in you. Let me say that again. The tangible evidence for God that God has worked for you. Is displayed of God's work. In and through you. That's how you would know that. That's why Paul points this out to the Philippians. He's trying to encourage them with, here's the tangible evidence. I I know I heard you say some things, but I'm actually seeing it work in your life. So your assurance, my assurance of salvation doesn't just rest in a moment in the past when you walk down an aisle at a church or went to a Christian summer camp, or said a prayer. I'm not not trying to demean those things, but that's not where my salvation rests. It rests in the ongoing evidence of God's work in me. I see it. And this is what's so encouraging about Paul, is he looks at his congregation and says, I see it. Isn't that don't you want somebody to say i see it not because not because it makes you better but it it gives you fuel like yes it is it's at work in me let me close just with this way of thinking when you think about your salvation do you think of it more like a vaccine we're all very familiar with vaccines are we not What do you want the COVID vaccine to do? Well, I want to get one shot and then never have to worry about COVID again. Isn't that what you want? I don't think that's what's going to happen, but that is what I want. I am ready to roll up my sleeve right now for that shot. And I want them to stick a needle in, and I don't care if it's painful right away, but then when I leave, I don't want to ever have to think about COVID again. That's what I want. Is that how you think of your salvation? I walked down the aisle. I said the prayer. Preacher came out with a needle. I got, I got my vaccine. Now I walk out and I don't have to think about it ever again. Do you think of your salvation as a vaccine or do you think of your salvation as dialysis? Where I'm hooked up to a machine regularly pumps new blood into my system over and over and over again. You see, I thought of it as a vaccine for a long time. One and done. And I don't think when that was happening there was much evidence of God's work for me, in me. Because I was done. The evidence all rested on that time I came down the aisle. Does this make sense? But now, because I realize, no, it's much more like dialysis, this work is going to be an ongoing work that you should be seeing over and over and over in the life of a believer. Okay, I've packed in enough for today. I can already tell. I'm not going to get to my third point prayer. I've, I've, I've let it rest for next week. What a great way to get underneath somebody to pray for them. But the first two things Paul wants to do are things that you can do you can be assured of one is even if you're in pain, you can encourage somebody and I have no doubt from just this sermon if you would just have that on your mind this week to say I'm, I'm going get I'm not going to get lost in this difficulty that I'm experiencing but I'm going to give my encouragement away to to lift somebody else up. And just notice, notice the things about them that you want to really encourage. Two, I want you to walk home with great assurance that your salvation doesn't rest on you. It rests on God. And the way you can know that for sure is it's there's evidence of that. God work through you day after day after day. Let's pray together. Lord, we're, we're so thankful. These, these little passages are so packed like a piece of dynamite. And we want to be careful, but we do want them to have the right explosive effect on our lives. That it reorients and rewires our thinking correctly. That we wouldn't think of salvation like a vaccine. That we would really understand our salvation is based on a divine initiative, not on ours. That we would hear these two keys play in our own mind as we walk out the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.